186 pounds to 136 pounds. Holy cow. I get further and further in. By the time I hit the 90 days, I had lost right at 30 pounds and my jeans were falling off of me. I lost 53 pounds. I would say that it far exceeded my expectations. You want to know why running on the treadmill seven days a week doesn't work for you when you're trying to lose weight? Because it never has. And I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. Cardio actually burns calories usually in the form of carbs in the bloodstream that are then replaced with the very next meal that you eat and stored as more fat. This is why when you even eat low calorie foods or run for an hour a day, it seems like you get softer, but you don't actually lose any weight. And this is one of the biggest reasons why most weight loss attempts fail within the first three weeks. I don't do an hour of cardio. I have never done an hour of cardio in the past five, 10 years, and I stay sub 10% body fat year round. Well, you could say, well, I have a couple injuries and I can't lift heavy. You don't have to lift heavy to get in shape. You could say, well, I can't stick to a diet because I'm always hungry all the time. You can follow diets where you're not hungry and you're eating your favorite foods. You can say, I'm not in shape because I don't know who to listen to. I don't know even what to do. Well, here's your chance to put all those myths to rest and learn exactly what you need to do to get in shape, depending on what, you're, what shape you're in right now and what shape you want to be. Where I was in my life, had nothing to lose and everything to gain. So I just jumped right into it. And then once I started seeing what was happening to my body, I was like, why am I gonna stop? With all those failed past attempts to try dealing with the fat around your belly, do you really think that this time is gonna be any different? I mean, how long are you gonna keep trying on your own the rest of your life? Now, if I was your trainer and I showed you exactly how to torch your belly fat, do you think that you'd get better results than working out on your own? Of course you would. So let me help you. So, so how, how quickly was it? I actually saw results within the first week. There is a simple way to completely transform your physique in as little as 12 weeks, like say Hugh Jackman did for the Wolverine movie. But to transform himself into the superhero, Jackman followed some of the secrets that I'll reveal to you. Chris Pratt went from the chubby, lovable Andy on Parks and Rec to the cover of Men's Fitness sporting a killer set of abs. What's their secret? They ruthlessly cut through the fluff and the BS. They have zero time to waste because their next film role is starting in just a few weeks. So they can't waste time on the wrong program. I always felt like other programs tried to push, like they're the best thing out there. They also tell you like, you know, no carbs and you'll lose weight, just eat yep. veggies and fruit. That's not, that's not the case, you know? Is fruit bad for your diet? You should know that the advice to eat plenty of fruits and vegetables is gravely flawed. So this is exactly where many diet books and trainers and dietitians run into trouble. They recommend...
Good morning, Firewheel Bible Fellowship. Hey, it's good to see y'all here this morning. Always good to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I trust you've had a good week. It's good to be here with you. You know, um, sometimes I think we need reminders. I've had some reminders this week that God is in control, and it doesn't always seem like he's in control, but we, uh, we need some reminders from time to time, and I've had some of those this week. So uh, we are excited to be here. We always say this every Sunday, and we mean it, that you are loved. To those of you who are watching us online, please know that you are loved. Please also know that we miss seeing you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here in person today. And we are excited, as we always are, to hear Pastor Chris this morning, and of course also to listen to our worship band as well. And um, we're going to be praying this morning for Chris Nelson, um, as many of you have heard by now. Um, Chris was in a, a motorcycle wreck yesterday, and um, he is um, he's going to be okay, but he's got, he's got some, 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 uh, some broken bones and some other stuff going on, but it could have been far worse. And so we are grateful uh, that um, God brought him through this, and we'll be praying for him this morning. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we lift you up, Lord. We worship you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father for the permanence of the cross. We thank you for eternity, Father. We thank you for grace. We thank you, Lord, that we have hope, that we have an eternal hope in you in the midst of whatever storm that we're going through. Father, I want to pray this morning for my brother Chris Nelson that you just bring about a healing in his body. Give courage to Chris during this time. I pray the medical team would be compassionate and knowledgeable. We pray for Vanessa, Lord, and the baby inside her. Please keep both of them healthy. And just give Vanessa peace during this time, Lord, the peace that transcends all understanding. Father, we pray that the music today is pleasing to you. Give wisdom and discernment to Pastor Chris as he speaks your word to us this morning, that this worship service, Lord, would first and foremost be pleasing to you, the Lord God Almighty. We worship you, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. So good to see your smiling faces this morning. If you would all rise. Oh, I'll tell you what, though. We're going to do some acoustic stuff today, so it's going to be quieter. Um, so Chris is going to be watching, Chris and Vanessa, so let's everybody sing really loud so they can hear us. But if you'd like, they, I, I know I can always count on you. All right. <laughs> Oh 
Hello, hello. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, worship team. Awesome stuff. Still more to come. Um, first of all, this past Friday, we had an amazing lock-in with the youth at Group Dynamics. We have not been asleep since Friday night, but I assure you, we are as sharp as ever. Uh, that being said, I've brought one of the turkeys that we'll be enjoying this afternoon. No, I, I'm kidding. No, this is, uh, this is Ophi. He wanted to come out and uh, rally support for the turkey trot this coming Thursday. Yes. Today is the last day to sign up. Uh, you can do so via the QR code on the back of your chairs or out in the hallway. Uh, 7 a.m. Thanksgiving Day. It's going to be an awesome time. Great fellowship and community event. Uh, but today, we have our feast. Many of you have brought uh, all kinds of treats and assortments and tasty snacks. Uh, we have many birds, many hams. It's going to be a great time. That's going to happen right after the service. So if you could stay, that'd be great. Uh, and if you could help put up chairs on the left and the right, that would be even better. Uh, immediately following the service, that's where we're going to be setting up. Uh, lastly, Parents' Night Out, December 3rd. It's a Friday night from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, if you'd like to, as parents, you know, get your shopping done, go on a date night, we are providing child care for you that night. Please register online by the 1st. It's going to be a great time. Uh, that's all Ophi and I have for you. We'll see you later. Gobble, 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 gobble. at this time, if the offering could come forward. Mia culpa, mia culpa. Thank you very much, ushers. Y'all have a good day. Weep. When this life has overwhelmed me And I feel like giving up I will cling to all you promise It will always be enough 
Lord, that is true. There is nothing, nothing that compares to the promise that we have in you, Lord Jesus. There is nothing that compares to the promise that we have to you, our Father in heaven, your gracious gift of your Son. And now we are filled with your Son in and through the Holy Spirit. We are your people set apart for your good works. We have been given promises that are significant and eternal. Promises that we enjoy today in part, but we will enjoy in fullness tomorrow. Oh, praise you. We join with the heavens in rejoicing as we have lifted our voices to you, our prayers to you, our offerings to you, and now our minds. We seek you today with our mind. Our souls are open and ready to receive. Our hearts are pure and clean through confession. We ask that the seed of your word would find fertile soil in our lives and in our families. That it would be firmly planted. That it would bring down deep roots and produce abundant fruit. We pray this all in your holy son's name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's see your Bibles this morning. Anybody got a Bible out there? Word. Let's see them. Nice. Let's open our Bibles. Everybody say Word, Matthew 5. Let's do it all together. Everybody say Word. Word. Bam. There it is. Bam. Roasted. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we are picking back up uh, where we were last week. I want to say thank you, Kevin Davis. Kevin Davis back here. Wow, what capable teaching. Here, here's the deal. Uh, often when pastors are out, we call it pulpit fill as if it's sometime like some lesser teaching. We do not have pulpit fill at Firewall Bible Fellowship. We have sound biblical teachers and teaching. And Kevin Davis, you did a phenomenal job last week. You are a great teacher. Uh, and I am honored and privileged to rub shoulders with you and to learn from you. So thank you for your capable teaching. I want to say great job to Josh Lewis. Josh, where are you at? Joshua Lewis. Is he not here? I have all these amazing things to say to him this morning. He's what? He's getting Bibles? Because he's a sir. Oh, he's getting his Bible. That's good. That's good. I don't want our youth pastor showing up to service without his Bible. Well, here's the deal. Um, Joshua Lewis has come on staff, and he has done a phenomenal job uh, with our youth ministry. Yes. Um, I am so impressed, and I'm impressed every time we sit down and talk, and he shares his plans and his vision and, and his heart and his passion for you students. And, and he's such a sound shepherd and such a faithful, loving husband. He talks about you summer all the time, and he loves his kids. And the time that he gets to spend... Uh, with him in the evenings, he cherishes. Uh, he oversaw the Samaritan's Purse, uh, gift giving, uh, the boxes, shoe boxes. As a church, we came together, 74 shoe boxes uh, were delivered. Yeah, we could woo that. For the first time ever doing it, yes. And I, I want to read to you, this is such a cool little note. Um, a, a, a little guy, oh, I say little guy, he's a, he's a big dude. Uh, his name's Jesse, uh, and he wrote this letter, and this went into every one of the shoeboxes uh, that the family sent. Listen to this, it, it, right at the top, God loves you. Um, hello, my name is Jesse. I live in Dallas, Texas, which is in the United States. Our church is giving away these boxes to people who do not have as much. Did you know that God forgives when you need to be forgiven and that he made you? 
He knows everything. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. When you are in low places, lean on him because he loves you. Love Jesse and JC. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful, wonderful, loving note. I just am so encouraged by that. Um, the youth ministry raised about $1,000 in the potato bar. So thank you all for participating in that. And our students went in for a lock-in. We all heard about that. And uh, my boys came home after not sleeping for an entire night. And, and they walked in, we're not tired. And then 30 seconds later, the house was silent <laughs> as they were asleep. Um, I want to encourage you and just say, great job, church. Your faithful tithing and giving is evident. We want to thank you for that. I want to remind you, we're coming up on the end of the year. So I want to encourage you. Let's finish the year strong, end of year giving. And uh, I wanna, I'll be talking about that over the next few weeks, uh, but you all are very, very generous, and uh, that is a picture of the Lord through you. So this morning, I want to start off uh, with an illustration, and uh, you all probably didn't know this about your pastor, um, but I am just a phenomenal basketball player, uh, I, I, but I'm also humble about it, you know what I mean? Because uh, I believe that uh, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall, and so I just want you to know how phenomenal I am at basketball. So this morning, I want to start off by uh, give, doing a slam dunk. Y'all ready to see this? Hey, can you cue up some music? I, I feel like I need a little bit of uh, mood music. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, come on. All right, you ready? Not yet. All right. Okay, wait, hold on. Okay, I'm going to start right here. This is probably a better angle. All right, can you hold on a second? Hey, um, could you lower the basket just a little bit? <laughs> yeah, just keep, it, just keep it coming down. See, here's the thing. Uh, like I said, phenomenal basketball player. I mean, I have been playing for like the last three minutes. And, um, and I can. I can slam dunk. I, I, I really can. Um, yeah, just keep it coming down. A little lower. A little farther down. So now I didn't realize how long this was going to take to come down. So I'm just going to kind of ad-lib a little talking here this morning. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of a spiritual test this morning. And, and uh, you're going you're gonna to have to provide some answers. Don't worry, you don't have to share. Um, but this is going to be a good opportunity to see which one of you as a husband and wife is more of a sinner. You all ready for that? Um, yeah, keep it coming down, Charlie. Just, just keep it coming down. Because I promise you, I'm a, I can slam dunk. I really can. I've got hops. Um, just not that high of hops. Um, maybe this is, is this good enough? Is this good enough? Maybe. Thank you, Charlie. See, here's the deal. Anybody can slam dunk as long as you lower the net enough. You know what I mean? And as we look at the spiritual life, we have a temptation to lower the net. And I want to challenge you, the scriptures will not allow for that. So here's the spiritual test. I want you to answer yes or no. You don't necessarily have to write down the yes or no's, but just kind of keep track of how many. Number one, have you ever placed anything or anyone before your relationship with God? Okay, number two. Have you ever treasured a possession too much? Like, almost like Lord of the Rings, like, oh, my precious, like, have you ever? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, have you ever thought or spoken the name of God in such a way that wasn't worship? 
Have you ever tarnished God's reputation by word or action? Uh, have you ever disrespected your father or your mother? Sorry, students. Um, have you ever gone long seasons without rest? Oh, it's just about to get real. Um, like weeks, like, oh, I've got so much work to do. Who's got time to rest? Mm. Have you ever been angry with someone to the point where you wanted to say or do something harmful to them? Like, like punch them in the nose. Like, you've ever been that mad? Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked at a man or a woman and then had lustful thoughts or fantasies? Uh, let me put it this way. You ever eaten at Hooters? Uh, oh, it's just the chicken wings, huh? Uh. <laughs> I'm just, I, just, I just had to have some fun this morning. Hey, have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Like maybe a pen or a cookie or a handful of candy or a car? Um, have you ever told a lie? Uh, biblically, there's only one, one lie that every man needs to tell. Does this dress make me look fat? The answer is, you look beautiful. Which isn't a lie, which is very true, right? Because my wife is absolutely beautiful. Um, have you ever deeply desired what another person has? Like pine for it, long for it, gotten mad when you don't have it? Maybe it's a spouse, house, car, boat, job. Uh, you know, for pastors, wow, look at the size of that guy's church. That's a nice baptistry. I mean, that's the, you know, do we ever covet, ever desired something? Well, out of curiosity, and if any of you have the boldness uh, to answer honestly, did anybody get all 10? Yeah! Yes! My kind of people. If you answered yes to all ten, you are guilty of breaking every one of the Ten Commandments. Some of you are going to walk out of here, yeah, I broke all ten. <laughs> and some of you are sitting there like, oh my gosh, there are a lot of sinners in this church. <laughs> a lot of sinning going on up in here. Uh, some of you may be sitting there thinking, oh, I didn't break all 10. In fact, I'm a pretty good person. Well, let me ask this. I, I think we can all agree. Hey, can we all agree that we've all broken at least one? Yeah. Well, listen to this. James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. That means we may be perfect in every area, but if we break one little law, we're guilty of the whole law. And, and the consequences of that, the punishment of that, the Bible calls it sin, and the consequences of sin, Romans 6.23, tells us is death. For the wages of sin, what you earn from sin is death. Now with all of that said, uh, some of you may be thinking this morning, why so much talk about the Ten Commandments? Uh, I always find it fascinating, the average Christian's response to a discussion of the Ten Commandments is almost like they're like, are those things still around? I mean, I know they had that at my like, grandparents' church, but uh, are, those still, are those still in use? You know, because we forget. There's, this, there's a sense of spiritual apathy. 
And even when asked, like, what are the Ten Commandments, we kind of stammer our way through them. Uh, We struggle to remember them, let alone keep them. Uh, We may be asking the question, and you may have asked this before, are the Ten Commandments even important? Mm. Well, we're going to remind ourselves, we're going to reorient our minds to the Ten Commandments. And so turn in your Bibles, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20. And uh, we're going to read them in their entirety as they sit in the Bible. We're going to, uh, I'm going to turn there. Exodus chapter 20. And, and God spoke all these words, uh, starting in, in verse 1. Uh, uh, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Well, we could say the same thing for us. Uh, God is the one who brought us out of bondage and slavery, our salvation, our redemption through Jesus Christ. You shall have no other gods before me, verse 3. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself carved images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There is literally generational sin uh, discussed there. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That is to tarnish his reputation by word or deed. Verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or female servant or your livestock, like even your dogs take a day off, uh, or the sojourner who's within your gates. Listen to this. For in six days... Uh, The Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them uh, uh, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, uh, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It is the one command that is not uh, directly repeated. Uh, It is a a command to us in the New Testament, but the principle still exists. That six days we work, the seventh we rest. It is sin not to rest. It is literally sin not to take a day off. If God creates the heavens and the earth in six days and he rests, that is, he enjoys his work and what he has done, the question is why will we not rest? I believe that is one of the the biggest sins that is practiced today in the church. 12, honor your father and your mother and that your days may be long in the land that your your God is giving you. You hear that, students? There's a blessing for honoring your father and your mother. Don't believe the garbage that your friends tell you. Honor, respect your parents. And and parents, be worthy of that. Uh, 13, you shall not murder. Jesus is going to talk about that. You shall not commit adultery, verse 14. Jesus is going to talk about that. You shall not steal. Uh, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Those are the Ten Commandments. Turn over in your Bible back to Matthew chapter 5. 
You know, we may be asking ourselves today, like, how important are those Ten Commandments? Well, here's the deal. Outside of some obscure references of God writing something, uh, the one thing that God wrote were the Ten Commandments with his own finger, and he wrote them in stone. He wrote the commandments on tablets of stone. He didn't just write it on papyrus. Why do you think God wrote them in stone? Because something in stone stands. To this day, archaeologists are digging up stone artifacts with inscriptions long after all other artifacts have ceased to exist. Things written in stone remain. Does the law still exist? Yes, the law still exists and it stands and we as humanity are still accountable to the law. You see, the law is not just a moral and ethical code. It's actually a giant arrow pointing us to Jesus because the law reveals our sin, our sin that sends us and should send us time and again to our Savior, His precious shed blood on the cross for our sins, the gospel of grace, the salvation of our souls. So we're turning back to the Sermon on the Mount And as we saw last week, when a Christian lives a life of faithfulness, spirit-filled obedience, they are not only blessed, but they are are, uh, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That is, God has inspired our divine purposes, Christians. We are to be Jesus with skin on. We are the Jesus that people see. If people cannot see Jesus when we are around, something has gone wrong in our spiritual life. We need to spend more time with Jesus. Because Jesus should show up all over the place. Jesus should show up in our homes and in our families and our businesses, our relationships, news feeds, etc. If you have to excuse Jesus from your business meeting, Or if you have to excuse Jesus from your friend, your circle of friends. If you have to set your Jesus aside in any circumstance or situation, something's gone terribly wrong in the spiritual life. Christianity is not just what we believe, family. Christianity is how we live. Christianity is to be lived, not just believed. So we turn now to a very important shift in this sermon where Jesus, as the great teacher, begins to expound the law, showing that Jesus has not replaced the law or changed the law. No, Jesus has, in fact, come to fulfill the law. There is a very common phrase that is used today, set the record straight. I'm going to set the record straight. It is a phrase that means to provide true facts about something in view of a false belief. Well, Jesus is going to set the record straight this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think. Do not have this be a part of your thought process. That I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think. Do not be tempted to believe the lie that just because Jesus has come, somehow the law and the prophets have been done away with. I think some Christians have this perspective that now I'm a believer, I can just live any old way I want. And Paul asks the question, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? Certainly not. 
See, the call of grace is also the call of holiness. Somehow, uh, people believe that the law or the prophets has been done away with, that maybe they're irrelevant. And something we need to take note of, when Jesus references the law and the prophets, what he's actually doing is referencing the entirety of the Old Testament. So the law and the prophets, the only thing that he omits from that statement is, are the Psalms. But it's a way of covering the whole Bible, the, the whole entirety of the Old Testament. And, and I cringe today because I hear some Christians say, well, I just read the New Testament. I'm a New Testament believer. I, the Old Testament is old. And, and I, I look at that and I, I think to myself, what a ludicrous idea. Christian, do not rob yourself, your spiritual life, by avoiding roughly 77% of your Bible. The word abolish that we find in, in verse 17 is very strong. It means to throw down, destroy, or demolish. And I almost wonder, like, as, as Jesus repeats that word twice in, in that one verse, if it's a veiled reference to when Moses threw down the tablets of stone that had been inscribed with the Ten Commandments and broke them in Exodus 32. Y'all remember the story. Moses had been up on the mountain with God, and, and as he came down, he started to hear the sounds coming from the camp, and he was like, is there war? And God says, no, it's not war. No, they begun to worship the golden calf, and there was singing, and there was dancing. And as Moses approached, he, he threw down in anger the Ten Commandments and broke them as, as the children of Israel were breaking the commands. And, and then he had the, the commandments, or the, the, the idol itself ground up, and they had to drink it. But then God told Moses, you need to cut two more tablets. Bring them back up, and I will write the commandments out again. They stand. Jesus has not come to throw down the law, to shatter the law. No, what God has sent his son to do is to fulfill the entirety of the scriptures. Take note of this. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single scripture of the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single scripture of the Old Testament. That everything written was always pointing us and pushing us and moving us forward until the shepherds had declared, He is here! He is here! He is here! The Old Testament is literally saturated with Christ. I love my studies of the Old Testament as I'm scouring scriptures, prophecy, and song. And there's this, this glimpse of Christ. And there's another glimpse of Christ. And there he is again. And there he is again. The scriptures are saturated with Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of every scripture. And to drive the point home, Jesus now references Hebrew punctuation as if to put an exclamation point on the discussion. Verse 18. For truly... I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is a phrase that is repeated 30 times in the Gospel of Matthew. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Anytime you read that in any of the Gospels, you really need to pay attention. 
What Jesus is saying is, this is very important. Jesus says, I, I tell you the truth, that not the least pen stroke of the scriptures will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. And the last time I checked, does heaven and earth still exist? <laughs> Are we sure? Well, then guess what? Not an iota, not a dot has been taken from the law. What Jesus is teaching us is a couple things. First, verse 18 is one of the strongest statements in the Bible of inspiration and inerrancy of the Scriptures. And I'm going to quote here uh, from the New Illustrated Bible Commentary to give us a better understanding of what that means. This statement by Christ provides us with one of the strongest affirmations in the Bible of the inerrancy of Scripture. Inerrancy meaning without error. The jot is the Hebrew yod. It refers to the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the tittle, it refers to a minuscule distinguishing mark at the end of another Hebrew letter. So it's like the difference between a P and then an R. That little line is the tittle. God's revelation as written by the authors of Scripture has absolutely no falsity, even to the smallest detail. It is absolutely trustworthy. I quote here from Dr. Constable. Any foundations folks in here? Whoop, whoop! You know what I'm talking about, Dr. Constable, right? Come on. Love me some Dr. Constable. Well, he writes this. This verse is a strong testimony to the verbal inspiration of Scripture. That is, divine inspiration extends to the words, even the letters in the original texts. Inspiration extends to all parts of the Old Testament. God inspired all of it down to the very words the writers used. That means that our Bibles are the inspired, divinely ordained, powerful, and perfect Word of God. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that records all Scripture. All of it is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing. Every Scripture is valuable to the spiritual life. I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. The psalmist breaks into worship over the scriptures and the law and the commandments. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen to this. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Oh, it's sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Oh, Christian, what do you cherish today? What do you seek to ingest? Are you tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? 
Are you seeking the gold of this world that will perish? Or are you daily seeking the eternal word of God as if your very soul depends upon it? We are reminded that down to the very jot and tittle, the smallest little pen stroke, that every single piece of scripture is inspired and without error. And Jesus fulfills it all. Not only does this teach us of the inerrancy of Scripture, but it also teaches that the law and the Scripture is set in eternal concrete. The Scriptures stand today. They are still authoritative. Family, the Scriptures are still authoritative. They teach us how to think rightly about God, how to think rightly about ourselves, about God and others. But it's not just our thinking, it's also our living. The scriptures are authoritative to instruct us in the way of righteousness and how we should live. And even though the world does not want to hear about it, and even though most would rather just forget about it, we cannot. The law and the scriptures are literally inscribed on the tablets of our hearts. Even to an unbelieving world, I find it fascinating, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the universal nature of sin, that no matter where you go on planet Earth, no matter what generation that you were in, don't you find it fascinating that you will always find selfish, lying, adulterating, murdering, slandering, coveting, blaspheming, idol-worshiping, spiritually distorted sick people? Isn't that fascinating? No matter what means and mechanisms are implemented to try to control such behavior and such peculiar, spiritually sick and distorted activities, that there isn't a person on earth who isn't affected and infected. And there isn't a person on earth that doesn't at some cellular level know that it's wrong. Just as Romans chapter 2 verse 15 records that the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. That is the conscience, the seat of ethical and moral reasoning that all of us possess. Even our own conscience condemns, all testifying that our works are evil. Family, I need to stress, we do not need teachers today who are going to sidestep the tough teachings of Scripture. We need teachers who will teach the fullness of God's Word. And today we need teachers who will not avoid setting straight the biblical standard. The standard is perfection. We are told in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anybody perfect in here? I always find it fascinating when somebody goes, all right, look, I'm not perfect. And it's like, no duh. <laughs> really? You? I'm shocked. It's like, it's like the most obvious statement. No, none of us are perfect, but the standard's perfection. Who can keep that kind of standard? One. But we still teach perfection. 
There's a reason for that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and whoever teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, in verse 19, what Jesus is providing for us is a litmus test for the kingdom of God and its teachings. See, a litmus test is performed by placing a small drop of sample onto colored paper. Paper. You all remember doing this in school? Yeah, so if you use litmus paper, it's either red or blue. Red paper turns blue when the pH is alkaline. And while the red per paper turns uh, uh, red, or the blue paper turns red when the pH is acidic. I'm working my way through this. This is good. Uh, testing alkalinity or acidity. Well, the way we live... And the way we teach is similarly dropped onto the litmus paper of the kingdom of God. And either our life and teaching will alkaline with the kingdom. <laughs> really? Science jokes? <laughs> <clears throat> hey, I worked really hard on that one. Should I, should I do it again? Either. <laughs> or it'll be acidic to the kingdom. The greatest and the least. That's what Jesus says. The least. Who are the least in the kingdom? And you know, here's the thing. I, I think the assessment of the kingdom of God is more important to me than the assessment of the kingdom of this world. Whose opinion matters most to you? The opinion of God or the opinion of people? Jesus says, the least are those who relax the commandments, that is, who break the commandments, and the least are those who teach others to do the same. This is the Christian who is living in a life that is ethically and morally wrong. They are saved, but they are in sin. And instead of confession, there's this sense of celebrating it and embracing it and, and even encouraging others to do the same, whether by word or example. It is so troubling for me today when I see pastors celebrating and even embracing sin and encouraging others to do the same. What's happening and what you're seeing when, when Christians are endorsing things that are, that are purely and clearly sin and wrong, what they're doing is relaxing the commandments and the teaching of Scripture, and they're teaching others to do the same. We cannot relax the teaching of Scripture. We cannot relax the teaching of Scripture to accommodate a progressively spiritually decaying culture. And we cannot relax the teaching of Scripture for our own spiritually decaying inner life. That is called the least. Jesus says the greatest now are those who practice the commandments. I use that word on purpose, practice. Those who teach also to do the same. This is the, the Christian who not only seeks the truth of Scripture, but seeks to live the truth of Scripture. That I may want to accommodate a spiritually decaying culture to reach more people. I have had people encourage me to soften a message because it might be offensive 
and it might push people away. And the problem with that is I'm taking Scripture and I'm getting kind of cute with it. My grandmother used to say, Christopher, don't be cute. And it wasn't a compliment, although I was, I mean. I mean, just look at my pictures from when I was a child. I mean, I was. I was, like, adorable. Anyway, <laughs> don't get cute with the text. And don't get cute with the spiritual life. Because we're talking about life and death here. And Jesus offers us life. We're spiritually inclined towards death. We need a filling of the Holy Spirit that we may walk in life. So the question is, if your life and your teaching, and by the way, you're all, we're all teachers. And you may be like, well, I don't teach any classes. I don't stand in front of any people and, and teach the Bible. Yes, you do. You teach the Bible to your kids and how you live. You teach the Bible to your spouse and how you live. You teach your coworkers and your fellow drivers and the people at the grocery store and your neighbors. They're all being taught. They're learning something about the kingdom. We are all teachers. So if, if it was dropped on the litmus paper of the kingdom, <laughs> I got to say it again, would your life alkaline? <laughs> Sorry. With the kingdom. Here's the thing. We're being called to live a truly righteous life. Not a self-righteous life, but a righteous life. And I make that distinction for an important purpose, because here's the deal. If you want to see the kingdom of God, how many of you want to see the kingdom? How many of you, when you breathe your last, desire to enter into the Lord's presence? Okay? How many of you desire to give your family absolutely zero doubt that when you die, you are in the presence of the Lord? Do not send your family scouring through the archives of your life, hoping to find some scrap of faith in there. Give your family no doubt that you are in the kingdom. But if we want to see the kingdom of God, we have to understand that the, that the standard is perfection. It's absolute righteousness. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 24, I tell you, listen up, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus here is setting true righteousness up against the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, the, the, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, it started out with, with really good motives, like they wanted to keep the law and they wanted to be faithful to God, but over time it became this progressive work, this legalistic exercise where they began to emphasize certain laws and, and devalue others. And, and all of a sudden, they were faced with absolute perfection, but they were like, oh, I can't reach that, so let's start lowering the net. And all of a sudden, they had created a religious process by which they make themselves righteous. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Your righteousness has to be more than that. It has to be more than just outward. No, you, there has to be a true righteousness. But here's a problem. When we talk about true righteousness, the, the, stu the student of the Scripture is immediately going to go, well, none of us is righteous. 
In fact, Romans 3.10 tells us just as much. None is righteous, no, not one. That is, not one person on earth is righteous. And here's what's even more troubling than that. Not only is no one righteous, but no one will be made righteous by keeping the law. You could decide today, you know what? I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to keep them perfectly. It's going to be troubling because by the time you get to the parking lot there, I'm sure there's going to be one or two broken. Anyway, (laughs) you don't have to, but that's just kind of the nature of the thing. Um, You could be like, I'm going to be a good person. But then we're met with this troubling statement that none is righteous, not one. There are many today who believe that they'll have a right standing with God through good behavior and good works. How, how often do you hear, have anybody heard this? If my good works outweigh my bad. That concept, y'all hear that ever? Yeah, if I'm a good person, you know? And the, and the thought is, like, I, I am a good person, you know? I, you know, I am a pretty good person. Um, I recycle. Um, I pay my taxes. I mean, most of them. Um, <laughs> I bought Girl Scout cookies. You know what I mean? I love supporting the Girl Scouts slash eating Samoas. That's just the deal. I'm like a good person, you know? And, um, but who's the standard? Who's the standard of good? Jesus, yeah. And, and what is the standard of good? It's perfection. And as we all started the very beginning, we took that test, that spiritual exercise, like every one of us had to agree, like, oh, oh we've, we've broken some of those. And we're, we're reminded of James 2.10 that, oh, if we, we transgress in even the least, even one, we're guilty of the whole law. So what does it do? What does it teach us? What is it, what is it showing us? What does the law do? It's teaching us that we need a Savior. The law reminds us and teaches us that we need a Savior. We need salvation. One who can redeem us from our sin and cleanse us of our unrighteousness and by God's grace make us right before God. Romans 3, 21 through 22. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest. It's on display, apart from the law, because none's made righteous by the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. See, it's all pointing us to this. True righteousness, the righteousness of God, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. How are you made righteous today? Truly and positionally righteous before God through Jesus Christ. If you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have believed on Him, you will never be more positionally righteous before God than you are right now. That is who you are. You are truly righteous before the Lord, not because of your works, but because of Christ's work. Because of Christ's work on the cross. His death, His burial, His shed blood, His resurrection, that is the payment for sin. And through faith in the gospel, you were made righteous. You were positionally righteous. But here's the reality. There is a progressive work of righteousness that should take place in a Christian's life. That's called sanctification. Where we are progressively growing in our spiritual life. We are striving and we are growing and we are seeking. And we're walking in the Holy Spirit that we don't gratify the desires and the lusts of the flesh. And we seek to honor the Lord. It is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And we walk out our Christian life and we seek to do the right thing. 
Not so we were made right before God. We're already made right before God. We are set free now to just honor the Lord in, in how we live. I don't want you to forget this. It is by grace you've been saved, family. It is by grace. It's through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. The pressure's off. Could you imagine if salvation was by your own doing? So many today are under the unbearable burden of trying to earn their own salvation. And it is crushing them. They need to know of Jesus. They need to know of his great grace. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so no one may boast. There are two paths of a righteous life. One is through faith in Jesus. The end is entrance into the kingdom of God. The other is a system of law and works, the self-righteous life. The end of that is death. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So a few applications before we feast this afternoon. Who's ready for turkey? Who's ready for ham? Yeah. Well, before we get to the turkey and the ham, stay with me. This is delicious stuff too. This is spiritual meat. The law still stands. Christian, do not avoid the commandments and the law. It is good. They are holy and pure. Through the, the Ten Commandments, I remind it, I literally was thinking of, through these this morning as I was going on my jog, to have no other God before the Lord. I'm a worshiping thing. I am a worshiping creature. I worship stuff. And it's very easy for me to put things in front of God. It's very easy for me to cling to stuff more than I should. It is, it is very easy for me to tarnish Jesus' great name or reputation. It is hard for me to honor my father and my mother. It's difficult. And, it, and you know, at times, I, I have to instruct, we have to instruct our children in the way that they should go, that they are to honor father and mother, and they're not going to like the instruction. They're just not going to like it. They're going to stamp their feet. They're going to slam their doors. They're going to whine and they're going to bicker. But here's the deal. What they're learning is this beautiful balance of this, this grace, but also a standard. There is a standard in the Carroll household. I am accountable to that standard as well. And we teach our children how to honor father and mother. We live an honorable life. Oh, how about this one? How about rest? When was the last time you rested? Hmm. How about not murder? Well, I would never. How much hate do you have in your heart for that person right now? To not commit adultery? Well, I, I would never. <laughs> What's going on in your heart? If somebody could really scroll through your phone right now, what would they find? To not steal, to not lie, or to covet. You know, I was walking by a beautiful house today. Had a beautiful yard. The grass was green. The brick was shiny. The blinds weren't broken. <laughs> the brickwork wasn't all cracked. There weren't toys everywhere. 
The fence was still there. <laughs> I was like, that's a nice house. And they say boring. But then I was reminded, don't covet, Christopher. Don't covet. Be thankful for what you have. Isn't that this, what this season's about? You see, the Ten Commandments even leave us, lead us to greater thankfulness. Gratitude. Oh, for what we have. There are consequences for us as a church and as a nation if we walk away from the Ten Commandments. Do you know what it creates? It creates a selfish, lying, adulterating, murdering, slandering, coveting, blaspheming, idol-worshiping, spiritually distorted, sick people. Boy, isn't that in the news this week. Hmm. Let the law be a teacher, an instructor of how we should live. Secondly, I want to encourage you, don't lower the net. I know it's really tempting it's easy to lower the net in your own life and to teach others to do that. If there's sin in your life right now, and you know it, stop justifying it. Don't, don't blame it on somebody else or something else. Just own it. Be like, look, there's sin in my life right now. Don't be ashamed to say that. You know why? Because we worship a crucified Christ and one who is risen. It's a testimony that we all have sin. And when we own it and we don't justify it anymore and we come to the, to the gospel of grace, we find cleansing and healing. You know, lowering the net just keeps us sick. The gospel doesn't celebrate sin. To celebrate sin is to minimize the sufferings of Christ. The gospel keeps, us, keeps the righteous standard of God of perfection, but allows for us to seek grace in our lack of it. The gospel allows for God's righteous standard of perfection to stand, but allows for us the grace to seek in our lack in it. Don't lower the net. Not in your life, not in your family, and don't encourage others to do the same. And then I'll end here. A truly righteous life. How is one made righteous, family? Truly. Through who? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you have not truly placed your faith in Jesus, you are not truly experiencing a righteous life. You may say to yourself, well, I'm a good person. Be reminded that none is righteous, no, not one. Well, my good works will outweigh my bad. Just be reminded that no, one, no one's going to be made righteous through doing good works. Well, maybe I need a Savior. Yeah, you need a Savior. And thanks be to God, we have one, and His name's Jesus. Lord, we thank You for this morning and our studies. We thank You for the privilege that we have to open our Bibles and to read Your Word and to be encouraged and challenged and corrected. Lord, it's not a pleasant experience to be corrected, especially when we are convinced we are right. But Lord, we're not. Your word is right. Your word is truth. Your word is pure. Oh, that our hearts and our minds would be continually aligned with your word and not our wants. If you have not received Jesus, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, and you desire that right now, you're like, yes, I need Jesus, I need forgiveness. In the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe you were buried, and I believe you've risen. 
please save my life, Jesus. If that is truly your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you have passed from spiritual death to life. You are now a son or a daughter of the living God through faith in Jesus, through belief. You are positionally righteous before a holy God. The Holy Spirit has come into your life. It is Christ in your heart through the Spirit. You are now a new creation in Christ. The old has been forgiven and gone. The new has come. And now you can walk in a spiritual life. Welcome to the family. Draw us again and again to the wells of salvation and grace and allow us to live through your spirit a holy and God-honoring, loving life. In the strongest name on earth we pray, Jesus, amen. All right, family, we are going to sing. And uh, as we sing, we're going to be stacking some chairs. We're going to be preparing. We're going to set out some tables. We're going to feast. And so I want to encourage you to hang out. But it's time. It's time for us to feast in peace. Mm -hmm. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we enjoy a feast together in just a few minutes. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's love one another, because when we do, everyone will see Jesus. All right, everyone, let's shout to the Lord again as we stack chairs.
I don't even think about hitting that skip button. That's right. Black Friday 2021 is here, and it's Laser Away's biggest sale of the year. In fact, the savings are so big that one Friday couldn't contain all this awesomeness. So now it's Black Friday week. Yeah, how does this even work? Not sure, but as long as I am lasered from head to toe, I'm going to ask as many questions. <laughs> I am going bald office. Oh, okay. Maybe we can bring it down 35%. Oh, Come into Laser Away for our Black Friday 2021 deal. Save up to 70% off laser hair removal.